The Glenn Show is brought to you by the Manhattan Institute. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber at glennlowry.substack.com. As a subscriber, you will receive new episodes on Mondays instead of Fridays and get access to exclusive content, ticket pre-sales to live events, monthly Q&As with Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter, and other benefits. Your contribution will also help to fund grassroots initiatives that empower Black development across the country as we donate 10% of our profits to the Woodson Center. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Glenn Lowry. You've tuned into The Glenn Show. I'm with Eric Smith. Eric, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yes. Uh, as you already heard, I am Eric Smith. I am the uh, president and co-founder of Free Black Thought and professor of rhetoric at your college of Pennsylvania. What else? I am a research fellow at the Cato Institute, um, uh, specifically on politics and society. Um, let's see, what else? I am a Pisces. Um, <laughs> ENFP on Myers-Briggs. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, this is Eric Smith. Uh, when was the last time I saw you? Was it at an actor event? Uh, it it I, it may have been a Cato event. A Cato e- event. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think it was a Cato event. Uh, actually, um, Eric is a friend. Uh, we labor in the same vineyard of contrarian black thought about contemporary American cultural life. Uh, and I should say, I teach at Brown University, and I'm a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And the Manhattan Institute sponsors the Glenn Show. Um, and uh, I'm just here talking with Eric Smith. Free black thought. Does anybody, what, I'm not sure everybody knows what free black thought is. Well, um, it's an organization, a, a nonprofit, uh, technically, um, that focuses on the truth that, uh, you know, black people aren't a monolith. Right. Um, you know, we don't think and and feel and hope and dream the same. Uh, we are not one mind. We are various individual minds with uh, different viewpoints that you may not hear represented in mainstream media. Right. Uh, which is why we have an, an online journal of free black thought, which is why we have a very large compendium of authors you may not have heard of uh, if you're listening to uh, the media's uh, representation of what Black people are and do and want, right? And we have a podcast, a relatively new podcast, um, that I strongly recommend you listen to uh, because it's good. It's really (laughs) good. You're you're hearing those voices I just said were underrepresented uh, by uh, media outlets, uh, including social media, really. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay. Now I can't escape thinking that you're not mentioning a word that's relevant here. And that word is conservative. Ah, black conservative, uh, is to be more specific. Cato Institute. Those are libertarians over there. The last time I checked. Yeah. And I think they took money from the Koch brothers or something like that. Uh, a, a while ago, sure. A while that, ago. Uh, yeah, that, that connection um, is, okay. uh, is uh, right, less so salient these days. My, my question, a little bit uh, devil's advocate here, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but nevertheless, is the heterodoxy really a cover 
for what's really going on, which is conservatism. Um, on free black thoughts part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, black I, conservatism, I, conservatism on the of the issues like reparations or police violence or mass incarceration or well it's uh you know, it's definitely not supposed to be a cover um we uh embrace heterodoxy as much as possible we um we may focus on some of those uh unpopular or marginal uh viewpoints when it comes to black america uh because they're so marginal and and, and not seen uh we want to shed some light on that so i guess people can assume that we are embracing conservatism as opposed to uh, being, um, you know, impartial politically. I don't um, identify as a conservative. I, I, I never have. I'm, you know, the libertarian thing is one thing, but that's, you know, you can you can do various things with that. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've never I've never um, identified as a conservative yet. People assume that I am for reasons you just implied. Um, but also simply because I don't like being a victim. You know, I don't like victimizing um, my black students. I don't like victimizing my black peers. Um, I think a lot of what's going on with critical social justice is detrimental to black people. And for that, uh, people call me a conservative. Um, and when I hear that, I say, okay, well, that, if that's conservative, what's liberal? Just, uh, you know, I... I'm supposed to be a victim. This is what's called prescriptive racism. Um, another thing that people aren't talking about enough, um, descriptive racism, obviously, is you know old-fashioned racism. Everybody in your group is inferior, right? Prescriptive, however, is I have an idea of who you are in my head, and if you don't match that idea, there's something wrong with you, right? There's a script of uh, what it means to be a Black person, a Black American, or or, or whatever. And uh, if you don't, you know, uh, abide or recite this script to a T, then you're not authentically Black, right? Um, that is prescriptive racism and critical social justice, wokeness, if you will, relies on it. You can't have those things without prescriptive racism. I, I dare say they're synonymous with prescriptive racism. So I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, this is the first I'm hearing of this concept prescriptive racism, although I'm familiar with the phenomenon. Very yeah. familiar. Yeah. Um, what would be then some of the particular controversial issues that are um, engaged at Free Black Thought where the r range of opinion in, in your consideration among Black people is much wider than is given voice to in mainstream media? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, you know, our, our main mission is to shed some light on that fact, um, right? Which is why we have all these things going on, which is um, why we plan in the future to, you know, have some symposia uh, about these issues um, or subcategories of the issue, right? Um, but I'm asking you specifically what kinds of issues, you know, Second Amendment, uh, you know, abortion, oh, uh, voting yeah. rights. Uh, all you of know, the above. Cr crime and punishment. Yeah. All of the above, especially if you look at the, um, the journal and the podcast. We talk about everything, right? Um, Connie Morgan, who's the uh, host of those podcasts uh, and who is doing a great job, 
will talk to anybody about anything as long as it's um, aligned with uh, what it, you know, what it means, quote unquote, to be black to that particular person. Right. So we we talk about anything from education um, to, you know, uh, surviving uh, the woke cult. We have some ex woke people, you know, that 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 speak to us. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it, it runs the gamut. There's no real specific topic that we're focusing on other than, you know, uh, the fact that uh, black people are not a monolith. OK. Sounds like a good thing. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, do you know who Eric Johnson is? Um, no, I don't. He's the mayor of Dallas. He just changed parties from being a Democrat to being a Republican. Uh, and I heard him in an in-depth interview, and the issue that he was talking about a lot was crime and violence. He thinks defund the police is madness. Uh, and he thinks that the public safety question is the first order question of governance in a city like Dallas. And he thinks he's not acting contrary to African-American interests, but in fact is acting entirely uh, in concert with African-American interests properly understood. And you know, I just wondered whether or not he'd come across your screen. But uh, I mean, there, there are two Eric Mayors that are uh, in, in the news these days. The other one is, uh, I mean, two Johnson Mayors. The, the other one is Brandon Johnson in Chicago, uh, who is, you know, dealing with the issues in that city, including the migrant crisis that they're having there and yeah. how to house these people. And, um, and uh, these, are, these are very different Black mayors. Uh, emblematic of the spectrum of thinking on an important question about urban governance uh, that is characteristic of African-American thought. So I, I'm, I'm proposing that you hold a symposium on Black mayors in America in the year 2024 uh, at Free Black Thought and that you solicit uh, some input from these guys. That sounds like a great idea. Um, in fact, you know, if we ever do create that inaugural uh, symposium, perhaps we can invite uh, some of these mayors or one of them or both um, yeah. and, and see what happens with that. But that that sounds very interesting, um, mainly because, you know, um, being a black conservative often um, attracts the label of traitor, right? Or, or Uncle Tom or yeah. something like that. When in reality, if you listen to them, if you think about what they're trying to do, they're all for, you know, uh, black uh, fulfillment, black, um, you know, uh, happiness and, and, and liberty and life, right? Um, they're all for those things. You're just taking a different angle at it, right? An angle that they see as pragmatic, right? Um, an angle that they see as something that will, you know, uh, improve to some degree the socioeconomic uh, well-being of um, inner city black people, right? Um, so they care. They're not doing something for whitey, quote unquote. They're doing something for blacky. <laughs> Sorry. You didn't quite like the way that sounded. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so what are you working on uh, these days? 
Uh, wow. Okay. So I decided that I would be strong enough to teach and be a research fellow at Cato simultaneously. And I have no idea what I was thinking. Oh. Yes. Uh, it's been uh, a lot to, 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 to do both. So um, starting in 2024, I'll take an unpaid leave of absence from your college and just be at Cato. Uh, for the calendar year of 2024. Are you in residence in Washington, D.C. at Cato? You have to travel back and forth between uh, York? At the moment, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously in January, I'll, you know, be just in D.C., focusing on uh, Cato and my role there. And the, the part of that role, you know, uh, feeds into free Black thought as, as well, because uh, as you'll see from the about section of our website, uh, freeblackthought.com. Um, we do a lot of these things from a classical liberal foundation. Um, and Cato is all about that as well. So I feel like, you know, it seems like I'm doing two distinct things, but uh, the Venn diagram of Cato and FBT overlap substantially in my mind anyway. Um, so 2024 will be about Cato and FBT. Um, getting FBT uh, farther off the ground than it already is, and, um, you know, doing some good work with Cato. How would you describe the classical liberal outlook on, on politics and culture for those in the audience who don't already know what you're talking about? Oh, okay. Um, well, when I say that, I mean a respect for, you know, individuality, uh, the primacy of reason. Right. Um, free speech, obviously, equality before the law um, and, and other concepts like spontaneous order, you know, um, which I think is something that is relevant, especially when it comes to, um, you know, um, uh, DEI and STEM. Right. Um, it, it, it used to be just a humanities thing. Right. Now it's entering into uh, the sciences because there's something inherently racist about chemistry. Or, 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 or something like that. Um, so from a classical liberal perspective, you know, I'm approaching, FBT is approaching all these different things, and um, it kind of informs everything we do. Now, free market uh, capitalism is a part of that story, isn't yes. it? This is Friedrich von Hayek and company. Yes. Yes. So that, Let, Less from an economic perspective than... than um, uh, you know, just a social uh, perspective, really. Um, we're, we're not pushing any kind of uh, economic standpoint or, or, or belief or anything like that. But you're chilling on DEI. Yeah. And by chilly, you mean we're cold towards it. We don't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. You're skeptical or uh, less than fully on board yeah. with this. How so? Why so? Um, well, um, I can start about 15 years ago when I was a diversity officer at a small liberal arts college on the East Coast. And I saw some things that um, I can't unsee. Uh, mainly the, uh, the fact that even the administration there, to a large degree, had a particular idea of what a black person was, you know, um, 
And uh, I tell this story all the time. I was talking to the president of the university at the time, and um, it came up in conversation that, you know, Black people aren't a monolith. We have different, you know, um, lifestyles, different uh, religious affiliations, uh, all kinds of different things. And he looked at me like I had four heads. Like I said, <laughs> the craziest thing ever, right? And that should have tipped me off. Actually, it did tip me off a little bit, but ultimately, I was there for optics. I was there so that people could say, hey, we're doing something, you know, with uh, diversity. And, now, let me uh, be clear. You're, you're an employee of the college working under the uh, direction of this person whom you're speaking to as a diversity officer telling him that Black people don't all think alike. Yeah. So with that said, I, I saw it as a, just a uh, performance, right? I was there to make the college look like they were doing something. And other than that, it was a very useless position. So I was already sour on a lot of uh, diversity initiatives in higher education before the, um, you know, the whole woke slash critical social justice thing reared its ugly head. Um, so... With that said, I'm even more dedicated to exposing DEI for the, the detrimental aspects, um, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, insisting that, uh, you know, black students and professors uh, and administrators are forever dealing with this specter of racism and that the whole country is um, dedicated uh, to the downfall of black people. Um, that doesn't do anything positive for um, the mindsets of Black students and faculty, um, especially since um, I don't think there's much uh, merit to it whatsoever. I also like the concept of merit. So that's something else that is, uh, that is um, considered a double term in DEI circles. It doesn't make any sense. It's detrimental. Um, I've, I've said before, uh, in publications, um, in, in presentations and debates that, um, if a clan member wanted to make sure black people never, you know, um, moved upward, right. Um, in any kind of way, uh, societal or economic, this whole DEI thing is a great strategy. It's a, it's a good way to start. You know, but because among many other things, I mentioned this before with prescriptive racism, you know, um, if you are happy and fulfilled as a black person, you uh, are either um, suffering from false consciousness, uh, you've been duped, right? Um, you've been, you have some kind of uh, um, uh, Stockholm syndrome or something like that. You can possibly have a good reason for being optimistic and uh, for succeeding. And knowing that other people can succeed as well. You can't possibly have a, a good explanation for that. You must be trying to play KYD. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir on, on a lot of that stuff. But uh, I, I'm trying to conjure up a devil's advocate kind of response here. What about solidarity? Like people need to stick together. Uh, what about shared narrative? The story we tell our children about where we come from and from what we've come through uh, should uh, should be reproduced from generation to generation. Uh, what about you know implicit bias and subtle racism and all that kind of stuff? 
what about diversity? Are you sour on that? You're good on merit, but uh, but what about uh, what about diversity, including racial diversity, um, and so on in that vein? Uh, you know, it was good that there was a black president, wasn't it? When Obama got elected and got reelected, somebody's got to call the cops out when they mistreat uh, young black people. You need an Al Sharpton or a Ben Crump or whatever, even if you don't like everything they say. Uh, isn't it a luxury to be able to, uh, you know, declare one's individuality in the face of so much structured uh, racial, uh, you know, exclusion and marginalization and so on? I am I'm doing my best here, Eric. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I am. I am all for addressing those issues, and I think we can address those issues. And you know, even when uh, I was that useless diversity officer, you know, um, the approach I was taking was nothing like the current uh, DEI approach, which is steeped in critical social justice, um, socially called woke. You know, I'm gonna have to tell you uh, about this. Um, there are ways of addressing those things without embracing wokes. Um, for example, I mean, it's it, it's not all racism or even mostly uh, racism in some situations. There are a lot of factors going on, right? Um, you know, uh, issues with family, um, issues with uh, education. Um, some people would say, including uh, Ian Rowe and... Uh, and um, uh, other uh, black educational leaders that there is a spiritual element that is missing, right? Uh, and I'm all for exploring all those things, but we can explore all those things um, without the divisive A, detrimental to uh, the psyche of students, B, and faculty, right? Um, we can do all those things without, you know, uh, embracing this wokeness, which I think is divisive and detrimental to black psyche. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing that we had a black president for two terms, right? Um, I, I think we need to address things that are going on uh, between police and the communities, right? I think we need to address all these things, but we don't have to do it, um, you know, based on what, you know, uh, Robin D'Angelo or Kendi say. You know, we can do it in other ways. What about based upon what the leaders in the Democratic Party are saying? Uh, the Stacey Abrams and the uh, Kamala Harris's and the so forth, uh, calling Black people to come to the polls and vote against white supremacy and vote in favor of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh, are they practicing? I'm sorry, I'm just being the devil's advocate here. What you call prescriptive racism when they when they pay attention to the fact that uh, outsized number of African American men are prepared to give Donald Trump a second hearing. I mean, not a majority, but a much bigger number than you would have seen yes. thinking about voting for a Republican in the past. Um, and when they call attention to uh, the people marching in Charlottesville and you know the et cetera. Um, well, if they want to, uh, if they want us to vote against white supremacy, uh, then we should probably vote against them as well. Uh, I, I think, um, well, let me start here. The Democratic Party doesn't like me. Right? I, I, I've, <laughs> I've made that 
I've made that um, realization. I've had that realization in the past few years um, because I, I've always been, you know, a registered Democrat. I don't know about that these days. You know, yeah. I, they don't they don't like me. Right. I, I'm I'm a black person who refuses to be a victim that I can't be tolerated. Right. There's something wrong with me. I'm multiracially white, as uh, some people will say. I never heard that one either. Yeah. That's good. Multiracially white. Yes. Oh, like yeah. some of those Asians who are believers in merit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe um, there's a professor at NYU who coined that term, and I'm blanking on her name right now. Uh, Justina uh-huh. something. But, um, but, but yeah, uh, multiracially white uh, would be my label. And that's put it in nice. We all know the... the um, uh, less nice labels uh, that they have for people like that. And the Democratic Party is no longer my party. You know, um, they say things that offend me, right? Um, They say things that I think are, you know, dangerous uh, for uh, Black social mobility. And obviously they're doing it to get votes. You know, those people are the racists over there. No, not really. The racists are the ones who are saying that you can't make it because the world's against you, right? Um, which is not true, um, in, in my opinion. Yeah. But if you want to get votes, a good way to do that is to scare people. Scare people into saying if they win, you know, the racism is going to flood back like it was before, right? We're, we're going to stop that, right? We're going to stop that uh, racism from happening. Um, no, not at all. I, I think they are bad news. They are bad for black people. They're bad for minorities uh, in general. So when Stacey Abrams or you know Kamala Harris uh, gets up and and talks about this, you know, this uh, monster of racism, you know, I I, I tune them out now uh, because I, I I will not wallow in negative emotionality based on scare tactics from them. But somebody's going to say, okay, I see what you're saying about some of the problems with the way that Democrats talk about race, but they're the party of the working class. They're the party of the unions. They're the, they're the party. Whereas free market capitalism is the, is the uh, place where the big money and and the big businessmen and and all of that it's the workers and it's the little guy and it it's the joe blow what about the welfare state and you know voting for the government to be an active agent and and uh helping people and uh uplifting people and stuff like that don't african americans have a huge stake uh based on our social location and uh, what history has uh, wrought in uh, seeing a progressive, uh, more generous uh, provision, uh, more social safety net, uh, and uh, somebody who's looking at what the little guy uh, is struggling with than uh, with Wall Street, Main Street, Wall Street, Democrats of Main Street, Republicans of Wall Street, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I don't know if we're allowed to curse on your show. <laughs> yeah, you are. But all that's bullshit. <laughs> yes, uh, certainly. Uh, they are not the party of the working class. They haven't been for some time. Uh, they, they, they use rhetoric, sophistic rhetoric, um, 
to uh, push that idea, but that idea is false. It is false. I think we need to start focusing on um, agency, uh, start focusing on uh, showing people that, you know, uh, with the proper uh, training, with the proper education, with the proper attitude, you can achieve your goals. The world is not out to get you, right? Uh, the Democratic Party, government uh, in, in general, um, you know, uh, can be a little too heavy handed. But the Democratic Party is working like, the, you know, we're your parents, right? We're going to take care of you. We're doing this for your own good, right? Um, we're, we're being prescriptively racist for your own good, which is why white people um, now feel OK telling me how to be black, right? They've been emboldened by this. This whole thing, this whole paternalistic take on um, race relations, you know, um, and I think that's bad. I think it's infantilizing. I think DEI, contemporary DEI, is inherently infantilizing, and I think we need to introduce agency um, and and um, well, a lot of things. Right? I talked about uh, family and, and 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 education and, and things like that. Um, but I think we need to start focusing on those things. Right? And, and I think we need to be pragmatic. Uh, the Democratic Party or left, the left, right, um, in general, they, they push a narrative of a social reality that things are a lot worse than they actually are. Um, the, the main stat for something like this is how many um, uh, unarmed black people are shot by the police yearly. Right. Um, you ask people that they'll, they'll they'll talk about it. It's in the thousands. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's not in the thousands. Uh, it's double digits. Right. right? Um, it, it's I, I believe it's under 20, you know, in, in many in uh, many years. Right. So so that kind of social reality is antithetical to, well, the truth. Right. Um, it doesn't take into consideration empirical reality. Right. And it's pushed for a reason. Right? It's pushed to put people in a mindset that makes them say, I need this party or this side of the political spectrum to basically be a parental force and, and advocate for me because I can't advocate for myself. I think that's bad. How would you imagine an effective program to address some of these issues? via the agency of African-Americans, issues like family structure. Um, I just did something at the AEI, a program uh, recalling Daniel Patrick Moynihan and you know, gave a small speech about uh, the Moynihan report from the 1960s and talked about out of wedlock births and stuff like that. Um, not that you have to have a position here being an advocate of free black thought, but it seems to me that uh, two things seem to me to be true. One of them is this is something that self-respecting Black people are not supposed to talk about in public. And the other thing is that this is something that if we don't get it fixed somehow, uh, we're never going to get out of the hole that we're in. Right. Uh, I wonder if you agree with that and, and you know, kind of how you think about facilitating a effective engagement with the problem of uh, of family, family instability, single parenthood, fatherlessness, and so on. We can't fix the situation if we refuse to look at it realistically. 
period. If we refuse to say, you know, um, well, tell the truth about a lot of things that are going on here that we're not supposed to do uh, in public, right? I'll be the bad guy. That's fine. You know, you can all hate me. You know, but uh, we have to start talking about this stuff and often and loudly. You doing that at the uh, Free Black Thought at your website? Uh, to some Podcast. degree. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the fact that we have a platform for um, alternative, they're not alternative, they're actual, but, you know, uh, alternative uh, viewpoints um, held by Black people, I think that's a good start. I think uh, if people read the articles we publish, uh, if they listen to the podcast, they'd realize that there are many people of color, uh, specifically Black people, who don't follow the narrative they've been told is is the uh, reality of the situation, and they have good reason for that. That's the that's the part. That's what Free Black Thought is for. They have good reason for it. Listen to their reasons, right? Um, listen to the logic behind what they're saying and doing and, and listen to their stories. Um, some of the podcast uh, stories are, are, are incredible. I'm not going to give too much away, but we have a podcast coming up about a, a black uh, female professor um, who apparently wasn't woke enough in her grading policies. Um, that's going to be an eye opener um, if people want to uh, are, are willing to listen to it. Right. Uh, Excuse yeah. me. What, what does it mean to be woke in your grading policy? Um, again, I don't want to give away okay. too much from mm -hmm. the podcast, but, um, you know, uh, we have to inflate grades for certain students. <gasps> oh, yeah. OK. Right. And we can see how, you know, something uh, coming out of the whole DEI framework is detrimental to those students. You're not doing those students any favors, right? Um, you're, you're putting them out into the world unprepared because they didn't have to be prepared. They didn't have to learn to be prepared, right? They can just show up and get, get a grade. And I mean, I'm not, I've been reading a lot about conspiracy theories and, and paranoid style and things like that. So I, I hope I don't come off as that. Um, but if you get a critical mass of people who are not prepared to succeed in this society, they're going to be a lot more likely to revolt than somebody who can navigate the society successfully um, and, and um, acquire fulfillment, right? Um, and, and success. So, so, I mean, again, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but if people aren't revolting, you got to give them a reason to. And if society is too much for them and, and that number gets larger and larger, then it's easier to convince people to uh, tear down the system, as they say. What's the conspiracy here or potential conspiracy? Oh, um, putting people out into the world who aren't ready for the world. Right? Doing it on purpose because you want to tear things down? Uh, yes, I, and I, I say this because there is a professor in my field who has voiced this, um, you know, uh, and, and with, with no shame whatsoever, right? Uh, he, he's voiced this idea as a Marxist educator, 
right? Um, and let's he miseducate students so that they will fail when they go out into the world and they'll be alienated and hence fodder for organizing into rebellion. Alienation is the key term in there, yes. Wow. Yeah. I know that's crazy, but I mean, again, I'm not making it up. I've, I've, I've heard people say this. Wow. What did you make of the Students for Fair Admissions decision? Um, I think it's good. I do. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the affirmative action in its original concept is fine. And, and what was it? It was don't discriminate based on color and make sure that um, everybody has the same access to resources uh, necessary for his happiness and success, right? And I like that. In fact, you know, with that ruling, the onus is now on us to stand up, exercise our freedom of association, you know, um, and get together and do something ourselves. Um, there are organizations, Take Charge in, in, in Minnesota, right? Um, the Hidden Genius Project, right? In which people are doing just that. They're providing these resources and letting um, these students know that uh, nothing can stop them, right? Um, there are obstacles out there, but they are, you can, you can, you can climb those obstacles. You can get around them. Um, it's, it's not doom and gloom. I think the onus is now on us to prepare students to get into colleges uh, that are a good match and get into colleges based on their merits, right? And I like that. I like us that. Being, us yeah. being Black American families and communities, is that what you have in mind? Yes. Yes. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Isn't that the line? That was Obama's line. Mm -hmm. We are the ones we've been waiting for. <laughs> no, we, we're the affirmative action, right? It's, 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 it's us. We have to do, stand up and do something instead of, you know, thinking that it's hopeless, mainly because we've been told that it's hopeless over and over again, right? And now that is being, the systemic racism is that, right? The systemic racism is, oh, you can't, uh, you're not going to succeed out there, that they're out to get you, or, or let's uh, pass these students who are clearly failing the course because, well, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. That's the systemic racism. I'm done. Yeah. Well, again, as I say, you're to a large extent preaching to the choir. People who follow the Glenn Show know that uh, you use the word infantilization about DEI. Um, I, I am inclined to go along with that on a number of dimensions. I mean, one is I think we shouldn't be making the race of a student the major way in which we view the student when they come into the environment, they are black or whatever, Hispanic or Asian, but there are many other things besides. And when we define them primarily in terms of their race, we elevate race and identity to maybe a higher degree of emphasis than is warranted, given that we're a university and we're meant to be exposing students to the wider world of human culture in all of its uh, many dimensions, and they come 
with a relatively narrow frame, we should be broadening their horizons, not not uh, doubling down on what it is they bring to the table in the first place. So I I don't like that. And I also don't like the patronizing aspect of using different standards to vet right. students right. based upon race. I mean, first of all, you're an elite university. Affirmative action only matters in elite universities. So you're already hard to get into. I mean, here at Brown, we admit you know, one out of 25 or 30 applicants uh, to the to the university. Um, and uh, then you use different standards to judge the black applicants. Well, that implies that on average, they're going to perform differently once they've been admitted after the decision. And then you have the problem of whether or not you do woke grading <laughs> that, that avoids revealing the disparity in the performance um, or whether you don't, in, in which case the standing of students within the larger academic community is, is weakened and undermined by the fact that they're being asked to compete even though they've come in with uh, less distinguished qualifications. Yes. Uh, that doesn't feel like it's the right path to equality either. Um, but somebody once asked me, they said, suppose we didn't do affirmative action and you were to constitute a class at a place like Brown University and you were to be uh, looking at 2% of the student body being black, would that be okay? Wouldn't that be a problem? And I had to acknowledge that that would be a problem, just not a problem that I want to solve with affirmative action. It's a right. problem that I would want to solve by enhancing the performance of the black population. That might be the long way around, but it's, at the end of the day, the only path that leads to a solid ground of, of equality. And the only path that doesn't, um, you know, perhaps inadvertently, but weaken um, the very people you're trying to help, right? Infantilize the very people you're trying to help. Um, I like the long go around you just mentioned. It will be difficult, yes, but that's fine. I'm okay with difficult. You know, I, I'm okay with the uh, you know, taking charge of our own lives and, and, and not relying on people changing the rules so that we can um, fit in or get in. I, it's insulting. It's insulting. You know, I, 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 if I had a woke professor when I was in college, I would have walked out of the classroom. I was like, I'm not doing this. You know, uh, don't, don't treat me differently. You know, don't treat me like some kind of a victim you need to help, right? You know, um, you know I, I, people do that to me now, you know, uh, and, and when they do it to me, I'm looking at them like, you need my help. And you, you're trying to, you know, be the savior person and, and, and be understanding and open-minded and woke and things like that. But what you're really doing is saying that I don't have the chops to get through something, right? When I totally do and I have, right? And, uh, and I had fun doing it. And if there are racists along the way, all the more reason to enjoy where I am right now. You know? Oh, man, I love that. You Despite know? their best yes. effort to keep me out, I, I killed it anyway. Yes, yes, yes. That gets me out of bed in the morning, that idea. You know? <laughs> Fantastic. But, um, but yes, I, um, I agree with everything you said. Um, keywords being weakening and infantilizing, patronizing, uh, things like that. 
What do you think about the problem of criminal violence in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore, St. Louis, New Orleans, Houston, Oakland, California? I mean, I I don't have a you know set plan right now for what to do about it. Um, but it's it's more than just you know saying that police need to stop being racist. I'm sure there are racist police. I know I know some. I know a couple uh, racist police. So I'm sure that's that can be an issue. But I know more police who are just trying to protect and serve. You know. Um, these things are not, we can't just attribute everything to racial bias. There's a lot, there's a lot going on um, with these issues. And we need to address it in a, you know, 360 degree way here, instead of just focusing on one issue that um, may or may not be the prominent issue um, in a particular situation. So that's, that's all I want. Um, let's address these things as holistically as possible. We go into something already assuming that it's a result of racism, right? We don't think critically to assess the situation and then determine we already, that's already settled before we even get into the situation. I think that's a problem. Professor of Rhetoric. Oh boy. What's that? What's a professor of rhetoric or what's rhetoric? Yeah, what's rhetoric? A professor of, I think I can figure out. Okay. Um, rhetoric, as to put it as simply as possible, is the study of persuasion, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, uh, Aristotle's definition is, has been the primary definition, although people uh, would like to uh, change that, I guess. But his definition is um, rhetoric is the ability in any given situation to discern the available means of persuasion, right? Um, so if you go into a situation, you know your audience, you know the, you know what they've been through, you know uh, the issues that they find dear, you know their values and beliefs, that should inform how you say what you're saying. It's not about lying, it's about telling the truth in a way that will resonate the best with them, right? Um, the, the evil bizarro version of rhetoric is what's called sophistry yeah um and in, in, in which uh you're playing tricks on people you're using uh fallacies on purpose right to get yeah. what you want um and and uh, a lot of people when they say rhetoric they they mean that um uh, which is unfortunate um but what they're really talking about is sophistic critical thinking or uh sophistic talk right sophistry um, and what I do as a professor of rhetoric is not just help people to discern the available means of persuasion, but help them to not get duped by those sophists, right? Uh, help them recognize the uh, logical and material and psychological fallacies uh, that people may use. Um, What's an example? What's that? What's an example of sophistry in action that you can ward up your students away from? Um, the idea of a straw man argument, which is, um, another concept that seems to be foundational in contemporary DEI, um, as well as, well, ad hominems, easy, don't insult the person, just address what they're saying, right? Yeah. Um, 
but the whole straw man thing, um, making a situation about something else that you can easily defend or easily um, support in an argument, right? Um, people who are really good at this can get away with a lot of stuff. So I would love for my students to be immune to uh, straw man arguments and, and things like that. So let me ask you in the spirit of rhetoric of the art of persuasion, uh, persuasion with integrity is kind of how I'm translating you. I'm not lying, I'm not tricking, but I am artfully presenting my case. Yes. Whether you think that applies to how it is that we, you and I, heterodox thinking black people who are not on the bandwagon for every trendy diversity enthusiasm that comes along can be effective in persuading our fellow African-Americans to take a little bit more seriously, um, you know, what we have to say. Uh, you think the Democratic Party is problematic in many respects in terms of how it deals with racial issues, but you see that Donald Trump is out there or, you know, Mitch McConnell or whoever your favorite Republican bad boy, bad girl might be talking to black people and saying Democrats are bad. They're looking over their shoulder and they're seeing the Republicans are worse. And then they have a negative reaction to what it is you're trying to get them to take seriously. Or if you say agency matters, and that's the same thing that conservatives are saying, they will say, you know, basically you're just trying to talk me out of my progressive political position or whatever. Here's my question. My question is, do you think there's any value added as a rhetorician in shaping the message that Black people have to stop looking for somebody to come along with their hand out and make them whole and need to get busy creating a future for themselves and their children? I've been saying that a long time. Clarence Thomas has been saying that for a long time. Thomas Sowell has been saying that for a long time. And yet, if you go with a microphone and you talk to average Black people, uh, you know, you're going to get less than a majority affirmation of, of these principles because it sounds to them like something the Cato Institute would say. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, yes. I mean, I never said this would be easy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at all. But um, when it comes to rhetoric, um, I, 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 I often think about, you know, teaching people, you know, why somebody's argument is uh is erroneous right or 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 just bad um and and pointing out those uh logical fallacies and you know saying this is how they're trying to you know get inside your head right um show them in no uncertain terms how a a, a dei mindset itself can be seen as anti-black right expose that clearly, right? And often, you know, how, you know, the, the weakening and the infantilizing of this stuff, right? If you have any kind of pride as an adult, you know, um, black man or black woman, why would you abide by, you know, some of these things that they're doing over here, right? You're better than that. We're better than that, right? I, 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 I would, you know, repeat that as often and as loudly as possible. We're too good for contemporary DEI. That's for people who are weaker 
right? If it's for anybody at all, right? So uh, that's the kind of thing that I would, uh, that I do push, or perhaps I need to push it harder. Okay. Uh, that puts me in mind of uh, the great Robert Woodson, uh, my friend and colleague at the Woodson Center, who is constantly calling attention to what African-Americans accomplished under much more severe conditions right. in generations past, uh, you know, building up businesses, raising their families, uh, standing up churches and, you know, you know, fighting against racism itself uh, without half of the benefits and uh, privileges that we take for granted today. And uh, that should be the standard that, you know, they, they could do it under those conditions. What, what do we owe to our ancestors? You know, how can we hold our heads up high when we're going around with a handout, uh, even though we have uh, vastly more opportunity than, than generations of Black people in the past? I agree. And that, that's something else I, I, I say often. It's kind of disrespectful to all the people who came before us to, to act like it's still 1850, right? Uh, or 1950. Or 1950, right? To act like it's still like, it, it will be disrespectful to my parents for me to be like, oh, I'm still a victim like it's the 1950s. All the stuff they did to, 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 to help me and my siblings, all the stuff they had to deal with. My dad's stories about being a, a black sergeant in the army in the 60s and 70s, all that stuff. And I'm going to sit here and be like, oh, woe is me. You know, I can't succeed, right? That's disrespect to my parents, but let alone, you know, all the black Americans who came before me. So that, that's another, um, you know, talking point. Uh, that I have. Okay. You got anything you want to add uh, to, uh, I don't have any more questions, but I've been enjoying our conversation. With you. Oh, that's good. I was yeah. wondering. Oh, um, really? No. No, man, I got to be the devil's advocate. I, you know, that's, that, that's I know. part of my job. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and it, was, it was fun. It was good. Um, what do I have to add? Um, nothing. Really, other than, you know, go to freeblackthought.com and check it out. Um, we don't just have our stuff. We have links to other people's stuff that we, you know, want you to, to take a look at as well. Other websites, other podcasts. But obviously, listen to our podcast, read our online journal, and get some perspective that perspectives that you may not have gotten otherwise. So, uh, yes, that's your homework, listeners. <laughs> Uh, viewers. When you guys first got started, I even contributed a piece or two to the magazine back in the day. You're the first. You're I the am f- the first? You're the first. The inaugural? Yes. yes. All right. Well, proud of that. Happy to have contributed. Look forward to doing so in the future. Good talking with you, Eric Smith, York Likewise. College, and the Cato Institute. Rhetorician extraordinaire. And Pisces. Thanks, Eric. And Pisces, I forgot that part. It's very important. Okay, my friend, take care. All right.